Hi everyone, welcome to this episode of Make the Shift with the Legal Work. Today is a super special episode because you have not only me, but you also have Tiani. And we have the amazing Zimasa Mabuse on the line with us as well. She's going to be moderating an interesting conversation between the three of us as we wind down and unpack the very first season of Make the Shift with the Legal Work. Hi Tiani, hi Zimasa. Hi, Belinda. Hi, Hi Tiani. Hi, Z. And How are you? Are, are we not all in like different continents, basically? Literally, literally. <laughs> How amazing. Look at technology. Look at exactly. God. Exactly. You're Morning in from New York. Jeez, jeez. Morning from New York to you and afternoon from Paris, Belinda, yes. and afternoon from very windy, very devilishly cold South Africa to me. <laughs> <laughs> Right, ladies. So thank you so much, Belinda and Tiani, for having me today. I vividly follow your podcast, Make the Shift. I love it. Tiani, you know, I've been following the legal work for, well, since it started, since it's its inception. Yes, you know, a wonderful platform. I think platforms like this are so important. You know, it is so important for us to have these conversations and to have them often because our counterparts, our other racial counterparts have these conversations all the time, you know, at golf courses and at coffees and at restaurants. And it seems that we are the only ones who aren't having these conversations on the daily. And that's why it is so important to not only have them, but also have them publicly, you know, so that um, we can grow as a people. So I'm very excited to be here today to discuss um, your career shifts, both of you ladies have made career shifts in recent years. Tiani, you left, was it, is it 2019 or 20? No, it's 2019, early 2019. Yeah. To go do an LLM, a master in law at Cornell University. Jeez, what made you go Ivy League? I'm actually going to start there. What made you go Ivy League? Well, I'd always wanted to do a master's. Well, first of all, Zimasa, thank you so much for joining us today. Zimasa yeah. is totally like, I'm going to fan out. Like, she's such a career crush of mine she she was one of our work crush wednesdays when we started off with on the blog uh with that series and um i was really inspired to even start this platform by looking at what you did with the corporate council and you. you just like took the level to another level of just like excellence class um just like that black excellence was just absolutely shown in the work and the quality of the events and the conversations that should organize. Thank you, Tiani. You but are a trailblazer, Zimasa. <laughs> is actually that girl. You are so a trailblazer. I, yeah. So Thank I'm you, so lady. honored that you actually like um, took the time to, to do this with us today. Thank you, ladies. So, I'm so excited to be here. To so I want to get into you. Let me, let me take it from the beginning, you know? So Belinda, you are a legal professional in energy. Tiani, you are a legal professional who owns her own uh, law firm, but you also recently made the shift to the venture capitalist world, the startup world. And I'm really going to just be talking about how the two of you have made these shifts. So I'm actually going to go straight into you, Tiani, because you've just entered the venture capitalist and the startup world. And this comes on the back foot of you completing your LLM at Cornell University. I think it was in law and entrepreneurship. Am I correct? Law, or tech and entrepreneurship. Yeah. Yes. Tech and entrepreneurship. Law, technology and entrepreneurship. And now you're in the startup world. And I'm going to ask you again, why Ivy League? Why did you feel that you need to, and I mean, this is a critical question. Why did you feel you need to leave the continent? to get into what you're doing right now? Why so, Ivy League? The reason I, when I was 
so I started the legal consulting firm in 2014 and yes. it was great working with Tokozani, another really great friend of mine in Belinda has been absolutely amazing and I've really enjoyed it. And we still work together actually. Mm. But at that point I was really thinking, how can we scale what we're doing? Because mm. we were, we built an amazing lifestyle business for the two mm. of us. We were able to pay bills, travel, do all the mm. things that you know you like to do and want to do. But when you're thinking from a scale perspective of how can we grow from two to 20 to 200 to 2000 to 20,000, mm. I didn't see the me mechanisms to be able to learn how to do that mm -hmm. um, in South Africa, especially mm -hmm. for a services uh, type of business yes. where you're not like heavily tech because being able to scale, you need technology, especially in this uh, day and age that we're in. And 100%. when I was looking at degree programs, I didn't find one that would kind of suit me to do that on the continent. Mm -hmm. Then I looked at, well, I mean, if you're going to go, to America, you might as well try and get into, you know, the top schools. Uh, and my initial interest was actually at Stanford University, but I low-key fumbled the application process because it's so many, many steps. And also when I looked at the type of degree, it was a really a master's, it was an LLM again, but in legal design, and mm. um, which was a good start. But then when I looked at what Cornell had, which is law technology and entrepreneurship, and one of the curriculum courses actually is called something called startup studio where you have to start a startup as part of your school project so you they help you get out of the building and for me then that was really a, a really great fit to get the practical experience and learning how these fabled u.s companies actually you know come together how the ubers and airbnbs that we all like you know worship at the altar of in terms of like mm. entrepreneurship then you kind of get to learn the bare bones behind what how did they actually, you know, do that? So having taken that knowledge now and deciding to, you know, it's an interesting time in the world. Well, the world, world is falling apart. We're trying to start up. Uh, yep. <laughs> it's really interesting in that sense. But just, I, I mean, I'll just share like in terms of from a VC perspective, me mm. and my co-founder, he's a data scientist. I'm a lawyer. And we have pitched to over a hundred people in 30 days. So 60% of those have been ventured, have been VCs, angel investors, institutional VCs, mm -hmm. um, seed and pre-seed. But in as much as we've opened, you know, that hasn't been positive. It's been no too early. Your business mm -hmm. model you know, doesn't make sense to us. We don't see the scale, all of that type of feedback. But the mm -hmm. fact that you even have 60 people and that's where even like, that's what we're barely scratching the surface at that level. Mm -hmm to even ask for that, five, for what, what we're trying to raise 500,000, to be able to even ask those people to have 60 people that exist with that type mm. of money available. Like that in itself shows how different the scale of entrepreneurship in South Africa from funding perspective is to like the United States. So uh, yeah, so that's, that, that, that's where I am at the moment and mm. kind of the motivation to do that. Mm, completely. And what's so interesting, I think I only found out this fact end of last year that Silicon Valley is actually a desert originally. Like the same way Dubai was a desert, Silicon Valley itself was also once a desert and now it's become the startup hub. So I know Silicon Valley is far from obviously the New York where you are based. But it just goes to show just how much startup culture is valued in the US. And I think that's why you went abroad 
took your legal degree and your legal background, studied law, tech, and entrepreneurship, and you're in and you're in the sector that you're in right now. So it obviously was a very good move for you. Now, Belinda, I want to ask you something. So a very popular word that's been popping out, popping up, popping up, gosh, guys, English, especially this year in 2020 is something called career pivoting. Now, what career pivoting is, it's very different from a career change. You know, it's when you take your already existing skills, qualifications, background, experience, and then use it to go into the same line of work, but in a different industry. So it's, it's saying like, I'm a, I'm a lawyer and I go into, for example, food regulation. I don't necessarily have to change my degree and study something new. And someone who seems to have done that quite incredibly well is yourself, Belinda. I see you have been in energy. You've also been in business development and you've also been in banking, girl. I mean, <laughs> geez. Tell me more about why you, actually, let's take it from the beginning. Why did you choose to be a legal professional or an attorney? Because I know you're an attorney, an admitted one, from a top five firm here at Weber Wenzel in South Africa. So how have you been able to use your skills and your qualifications to transcend through different industries? And why did you choose the legal industry to do so? Wow, that is such a, such a, Wide question. So I'm going to, I'm going to mm. unpack it as best as I can. So sure. I think I'll start from the beginning. Um, why I chose to go into the legal profession. I think yes. when I was deciding on career choices, uh, when I was in high school, I came from a small little town. And so there weren't a lot of career options that were presented, you know, not like the big bustling streets of Johannesburg where people come up with amazing mm. nuanced ideas of what it is that they want to do. And mm. so based on my personality, um, the school really encouraged me to pursue a career where I'd be able to use uh, my communication skills. That was one of the mm. things that they always identified as a strength in me. And so I was like, okay, right, let's do this law thing. And so mm. I went to the University of Pretoria, I got my law degree. And mm. I think at the time, the way the law careers were presented to me, it was, you have to go to a law firm, you have to do your articles, you have to um, get on, stay on as an associate. And then mm. from there, you know, hang in there until you make partnership. And so in as much as they touched and, you know, on, on other options, it wasn't super, super clear for me. And so that's exactly what I did. Um, I, I went, I served articles. I had the benefit of having funding from a bank uh, for my studies. And so um, yes. I, always, I, I knew in the back of my mind that, you know, the bank would want to get return on investment and they'd want yes. me to eventually come back and work um, for them. And so I was, I was stuck and I, you know, really not sure about where I was taking my career, but I think mm. it was all serendipitous. It was all the universe mm. sort of conspiring towards something that I couldn't yet see. And so yes. I served articles and uh, the bank wanted me to, to go back um, once I'd finished my articles and once I'd been admitted as an attorney. So that's how I got into banking. And mm. um, I went the investment bank route and I kind of fell into energy. It wasn't necessarily mm. a conscious Decision. It was more based on capacity constraints. And I won't lie, in the beginning, I was completely overwhelmed. I was like, what is this? There's like 7,000 agreements that I have to look at, and they're all voluminous, and I, I don't even understand if I, under, if I know, I get the content. I could never. 
<laughs> but you yeah. know what? You know, it's one of those things. It's it's it, you just take one step at a time. And yeah. I had the benefit of the team that I was in was incredibly supportive, and they were like a. a a wide safety net for me to fall on whenever I was stuck or whenever I made mistakes. And so as I, as I started to grow in that area, I really, really enjoyed it. And I would totally geek out when you'd actually see this, this agreement come to life. And now there was a wind farm or a solar project somewhere out mm-hmm. there in Africa, in South Africa in particular. And, um, you know, when you finally see the finished product, it all makes sense. And you, you feel like you're part of this amazing machine that has brought this vision to mm-hmm. life. And so as I was, as I, as I was in the bank and you know, considering what my options were, um, I started, I'd always wanted to study um, outside of South Africa because I wanted to yeah. experience life outside of South Africa and really stretch myself, develop myself personally and professionally. And so as I was, you know, growing in my career at ABSA, you know, I had already hit 30 and I was like, you know what, I, I still have this dream and it's, I don't want to let it go quite yet. And right now the circumstances are ripe for me to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm mm. not married. I don't have children. I don't have a lot of commitments. So let's just do this. If we're going to, if ever there was the time to do it, now's the time. Mm. And so I, I've, I've always loved Paris. I haven't traveled here before. And I'd always mm. promised myself that I'd come back and experience what life is like in Paris, like without just being a tourist. And so for me, I was like, well, if not now, then when? And yeah. so I went off to do an MBA. And the MBA was also very, it was a conscious decision. I chose not to do an MBA over an LLM because I wanted to increase my, my commercial knowledge. I wanted to increase my business ah. and you know, when we're making certain decisions, whether you're in the bank, whether you're at another corporate to understand, you know, critical things like the market, macro and micro um, environments and what is pushing business to go into the direction that it was in, especially with um, disruptive technology coming into the mix. And so that's why I specifically chose um, an MBA. And so I came to France at the end of 2018. It was a completely overwhelming experience because I didn't really speak any French at the time. So it was a, a hot mess in the beginning. Mm. Um, but, you know, I've been able to adapt and I've been able to learn French. My French is still terrible, just putting it out there. But at least like if it's I got okay. kidnapped, I'd be able to say <laughs> where, I'm, where, where I'm from and where I need to go. How about that? So, yeah. yeah so, um, and then how, so I've ended up, sort of back in the energy space and yes. but this time it's it's specifically for an energy company so it's not I'm not in the banking and finance sector per se okay. so I'm not looking at finance de- documents anymore I'm looking more at the development of projects uh, where they start from inception to the point where they get to funding to the point where they actually come to life and voila you have a, a wind farm um, so it's, it's also, it's also a learning curve for me at the same time, yeah. but it's super, super interesting. And before I actually went back into the energy space, I also did a little bit of startup work where I was doing yeah. business development work. And, and so that taught me, you know, having worked in large organizations in the past, this was such a great lens because you see your output in real time. Mm. And so it, it was such a great experience from that perspective. And I think I'm, I'm, I'm having, you know, left home, having, taken on this journey, I think the, the recurring lesson that I keep learning is to remain open and, yeah. and to allow the journey and the process to take you where you need to go. There is always space for intentionality, um, but also allow yourself to be open to the process. Yes. Okay. Thank you for that. I mean, I think that's such a wonderful way of really 
showing us how one transcends from one industry to another, but still using their qualifications. You don't have to throw away, I always tell people, you don't have to throw away your skills. You don't have to throw away what you've learned in, in your previous companies, etc., cetera, uh, to be successful in another industry. Take what you already have and use it to succeed in the industry that you're going into. And I think that's what you've done. And I just want to ask both of you something, I pick up a theme here. Would you say when someone is making a career shift or career pivoting or even a career change that would you say that they need to start study a different qualification? And I'll, and I'll ask you why, because you went into the, you went the MBA route, Belinda and Tiani, you, yes, you stuck within the LLM route, but it's still kind of a little bit of a shift because it's in technology and entrepreneurship. Do you guys believe that you need to supplement your existing degree or qualification with another um, alternative qualification when you want to make a career shift? Tiani, what are your thoughts? Let me start with you. I think from my experience, my answer is a yes. I think you need you to. You think so? Mm. I think so. Unless if you are able to fort, be really fortunate and get into a place where a company or situation or even build your own way, where it allows you to be able to build those skills really quickly. Mm. But uh, for me, I would think, I think you need to have another um, like a like supplementing qualification to, be yeah. able to like have a good foundation to enter into mm. this new mm. space uh, and not being in a, ha having that type of um, knowledge as well it helps you to meet people because while you're attending this course this degree mm. even if it's a short course or a full-on program you meet mm. other people who are at different points within that industry who may be further mm. along and then coming out of that, you're then really able to meet a lot more people. I think that's what people say, like your graduate degree is really for you to network more than it is for you. You like you've been in school, you know how to learn, but it's really about meeting people that you wouldn't ordinarily. And that's probably a big reason why people come to, you know, Ivy Leagues and so forth. It's about yeah. that network and just having that brand behind you. For example, like it's so easy, not so easy, like, not like, mm. you know, super easy, but like when you're able to, in your email, say to someone, hey, uh, I'm also, I've also graduated from Cornell, like that connection is like so much better mm. when you see someone that's like an alum and they're like in a position that's interesting to you. So there's, there's that, you know, uh, collegial spirit as well that kind of comes mm. with uh, going back to school or if you meet someone who's from tax they're like hey I'm from tax you're from tax like all of those things tax University of Pretoria sorry but like you mm. have that uh, so I would say you should um, if you can can afford it can can take the time to mm. study further as well lovely and Belinda you because you you completely went MBA instead of so Tiani did obviously do um, still a, lo a legal degree but Albert, a supplementary one, you completely went a completely different degree. Do you think that you need a supplementary qualification or a different qualification when you want to make a career shift? 
I, I think I echo what Tiani is saying that, I, mm. yes, I do think you need to. And um, I think for me, what I've seen is, you know, in as much as we talk so openly about making career shifts mm. and making career pivots, some of the markets where you're going to be applying to once, uh, you know, if you're trying to make a shift are still quite conservative. And so they want to see that, um, you know, you have a certain foundation or you have a, an alternative uh, skill set or you have something that can give you credibility. And so, mm. for example, when you'd be... Uh, when I'd be applying to business sectors, the fact that I was pursuing an MBA would get me a foot in the door as opposed to me mm -hmm. just having a straight law degree. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I think there, there is that element. I think it's, it's not to say that it's impossible to make a shift without mm -hmm. this, the, the supplementary or complementary um, degree or skill set. But I think mm -hmm. it, it, it gives you a little bit more credibility when you can say, look, I have the following additional qualification on top of my foundational qualifications. Great. And now I want to ask something. Guys, we're in our 30s. <laughs> and I really, I'm not someone who subscribes to the whole, okay, by 30 this, by 40 this, by whatever time this. But there are also certain realities about making a change in your life at a certain age, right? Did any of that scare you when you were making these career shifts? Tiani, were you at any point worried like, oh my gosh, I'm leaving my country where my business is set up, where my where I'm set up economically, where I'm set up financially to go to the US where <laughs> things are completely different, you know? And the same goes for you, Belinda, who's in Paris, one of the most expensive cities in the world. I mean, did, what scared you? And I'm not actually just asking from a financial standpoint. I'm asking from a personal standpoint. I'm asking from a career standpoint. What scared you about making this shift well into your 30s? Listen... Okay. <laughs> and like, <laughs> no matter how prepared I was, I wasn't prepared for a pandemic. <laughs> Listen, if I you had told to me, <laughs> if you had told me that next year, the, the world will announce that we must all stay at home because there is a big virus that wants to kill us. <laughs> I would have thought, no, please get off the drugs that you are on right or now. So yeah, please continue. <laughs> so it was really scary to be, um, you know, starting again, really from like looking at myself, like I built up this business with my friend over the last, yeah. you know, five, six years, like our company had just celebrated our five year in survival. You know what they, the stats are what 80% um, yeah. of businesses die in the first five years. And we're like, ah, we made it. And we're still here. <laughs> so that was coming off that excitement with like really good clients. And now you're going to this place where, you know, you're not earning because mm -hmm. I was not earning an income anymore since, you know, I wasn't working. And you know, that was one of the things. And one of the things that I just don't enjoy about the legal industry is that if your hand is not on the table, writing, consulting, like you are not making any money if you physically are not there doing yeah. something. And yeah, so for true. me, even coming here, it's figuring out how can we rework that? How can mm -hmm. we better support people in the legal industry if they decide I want to, you know, add more tech, is it more technology? Is it, you know, finding a solution around that? Mm. Because that for me is just untenable. It's not mm. scalable, it's not sustainable. So um, that was the one part. So not having an income anymore. Uh, and then just going back to like 
you are now in America. Well, no one cares like about what you do in Africa. <laughs> it's freaking Africa, you know? <laughs> All they want to ask you is about safaris. I'm just like, oh, just, I'm gosh, being facetious. No. I'm, I'm being facetious, but like, yeah, of course, and yeah. like for them, like they don't care that like you've built a business. So they don't get that. They don't have the context of what a South African business is. They, they don't understand. Uh, you tell them like, oh, I've done work for, I don't know, like one of our clients was, I mean, that was, was um, like I did something for ESCOM. They don't know what ESCOM mm. is. It doesn't mm. mean anything to them. So mm. you're starting from the beginning. As far as they're concerned, you're just, you know, a person who just, you know, is brand spanking you with like absolutely no context, no knowledge. So yeah. it's taking that. So there's a lot that happens in terms of like your ego as well. Because mm. you feel like, you know, where I'm coming from, I'm kind of a big deal. But yeah. And the thing is... Um, if I can it, interrupt you, Tiani, that sure. is so interesting. Because, sorry to interrupt you. Because when I was thinking up of questions to ask you guys earlier, I was thinking, would it be wrong of me to ask, how did this affect your ego? Yeah. And it's so interesting that you touched on it without me even actually nudging on that. So please continue. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, um, I'm Mandela Washington fellow. Uh, yes, of course. Mail and Guardian top 200 featured on news and all of these things. But when you're here, like no one cares about that. They don't know it. So it's really humbling. And you just have to, you know, take yourself in and begin to see yourself and go on that journey of, you know, really discovering who yes. you are at the essence and the core of your being. And you really get an opportunity to see, was that like a fluke? Was I just lucky there? Or like, can I, I repeat know, the success I can again? imagine. Oh my gosh. So right now, while I'm kind of on, still on that journey, still on that path, I haven't come on the other end of it. But mm. like being able to just have that ability, that hustle to actually get like 100 meetings with like some of the top investment funds in the US, honestly, and like to well some of done. the most brilliant minds, it's like, no, it wasn't a fluke. This is who I am. <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, <laughs> yes. And you're right. I, had, I hate to interrupt you. And you are right. I mean, I can't even begin to list your string of accomplishments. As you've said, like Mandela Washington Fellow, I mean, geez, hello, Melon Guardian, that is the list in essay. Now, we don't care about Forbes, 30, whatever. <laughs> Our list is Melon Guardian here in South Africa. So now to move from where you, you have all these accomplishments behind you to going to a country where no one knows anything about, what's Melon Guardian? What, what even is that? You know, I'm sure that must have been so difficult. And Belinda, with you, like, what, what, did, you, what did you have to come? overcome uh, how did moving to Paris um, affect your ego how did it affect your finances how did it affect you as a person Ooh, to make child. this shift <laughs> how much time do you have <laughs> <laughs> so I think you know I just want to start with your your initial question around making these shifts in your 30s yes. I'm, for me, um, mine was more, I guess, personal. Like when, when I was in my 20s, I absolutely was that person who had a, a, check, a checkbox of all the things that I wanted to achieve before 30. Mm. You know, I had this whole list and like I would say 90% of the, the things on that list did not materialize. And so I had already died to ego from that point. And I was like, look, you know, 
why was I, I I actually found myself questioning, why was I putting myself under so much pressure to meet all of Mm -hmm. those things? I think a lot of it was very societal and uh, very cultural as well. And, and so once I hit my thirties and I was like, well, this is where we're at. Um, And I I think it's actually such a great thing that I I didn't hit all of those marks in my twenties because it allows me the opportunity to to think beyond it allows me to 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 look at my life and sort of you know drive it for my own needs mm-hmm. and my own goals as opposed to meeting the expectations of other people so you know exactly to my point I was like well if not now then when and so yes yeah um and for those who don't know I actually self-funded my 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 uh, MBA it was a lot of my own savings it was a lot of well. <laughs> and so <Girl. laughs> and and I I had 12 months that I had allocated of financing. After mm. the 12 months, things got very shaky. <laughs> but, mm. um, but, you know, it, I, I, I self-funded. And it was so humbling because, you know, as you say, you know, back home, I'm like, I'd be like, guys, I'm an investment bank lawyer at X bank. And, you know, people be like, wow. And then you say that here and they're like, oh, okay. What's up, sir? <laughs> but, you know, it, it was crazy. And then also, yeah. like, that you walk on the streets and no one cares no one cares and so it was it was very humbling and also I found myself in a long season of comparing all the time and saying well in South wow. Africa because of the laws that are in place I am I am a people should be creating opportunities for me why is no one making a big deal about me you know mm. <laughs> and um and you know when you're in a country where those laws are not in place there aren't systems that are set up to help you flourish as a woman or as a black person it was it was crazy to me and and of course you start to see the rose tinted glasses come off and you start to see just how different and just how good things are at home things that we take so for granted and so you know i had to i had a lot of growing up to do and i had a lot of self talk where i had to say look you're not at home anymore stop comparing the situation to being at home figure out how you can make the situation work for you now with the with the circumstances being what they are and so there was a lot of death to ego that happened um and and i i think it it was it was all great in the sense that it it taught me to see myself beyond certain titles beyond certain Mm. labels which i was afforded at home and um so even now and also i tried not to make my journey here look like this beautiful sexy thing that was happy i was just drinking wine and eating croissants all day it was not like that at all and I, I didn't want to give people that false impression of what my experience was was like there mm. were some tough days you know and uh, there was also some great days and so I had mm. to just you know learn to live in the moment mm. learn to be grateful for what I have and learn to be appreciative of every little breakthrough every little you know, achievement and, and, and stop holding myself to a particular standard because that standard did not apply to me here. Thank you so much. Now I want to ask you something. Let's go, let's really dive into career stuff. And not that we haven't been diving into it, but what skills and attributes do you both believe are required when one is making a career shift or when one is career pivoting or even a career change, all of them. So what skills and attributes do you believe a person requires? Uh, I'll start with you, Tiani. I think in order to do that, you need to have a really good lens on yourself and see yourself where you are for really who you are. And mm-hmm. I really like what Belinda was talking about. Like now you're living in countries where you don't have BE. You are on your own. 
<laughs> so <laughs> if we must name it, let's name it. Let's name it. You are on your own, like really. Well, damn. And it's, and it's very competitive here, especially in New York and like, I mean, getting these into these companies, into these roles and it's competitive. You're competing against um, people from, you know, other top schools, people mm-hmm. who have been in, in this country that, that understand the system, that understand the rules to an extent. And mm-hmm. you're trying to like also, you know, break in. So uh, if you're trying to make a shift into like another country, there's cultural things that you have to take into account. That's a really, really important thing. There's also technological you need to prepare yourself to rely on or be ready to explore different ways that technology can support your, your, your change. And I think if anyone is trying to do anything at this, at this time that we're living in, it's really important for you to have technology as the backbone of whatever it is that you're trying mm. to do or else you're not going to, I, for me, I'm obsessed with scale. I annoy Belinda and anyone that I work with constantly because I'm like, this needs to be bigger. We need to be in the like triple billion market size, at least like that we're trying Mm -hmm. to address. So if you're thinking from that perspective, that's something that you absolutely have to do. You also need to have your relationships in place. You need to have pillars of community support as you're making these changes. You need to have mentors, coaches, sponsors, whichever way that you're trying to go you need to have um, that, that level of community. So really that, that self-awareness, um, you relying on technology or at least addressing how you wanna use technology, your community. I would also say uh, you need to really think about your finances and what you're able to do from mm-hmm. a, on a realistic mm-hmm. perspective. Fortunately, I was a recipient of, uh, well, the school gave me a partial scholarship uh, First Rand gave me a scholarship as well as the Oppenheimer Memorial Trust. And then I had to use like some of my own savings as well. But it's still, I mean, girl, like the what I when I look at the exchange rate, mm-hmm. like exchanging rands into dollars. Mm-hmm. I just have a <laughs> moment of silence. Yeah, and I mean <laughs> Belinda's doing Euros there, so like it's it's, it's something painful. else. And you you just, you know, begin to see. I always say, like in South Africa, we live a third we live a first world lifestyle on a third world budget because True. you, the, the, like just how your money can go far. Yeah, your money, your money can really go far. far. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And that's something that we must never take for granted. Those are some of the things. So I think if you're making a shift, especially from one continent or one country to another, these are some things that you uh, want to take, take into account. But I'll let Belinda also share what she has found being absolutely necessary. Mm. I think coupled with what Tiani um, has said, I think the main skill for me that I think on top of everything she said is you need to be able to sell yourself. Like you, wow. your communication skills have to be strong because mm. as you're saying, you're coming into a space where there's so much competition. You are you at the bottom of the totem pole, you know, no one cares about you and your little African situation. So you have to, <laughs> so you have to learn how to sell yourself. You have to show up in mm. the room and show out because the rest of them are doing the exact same thing. And so mm-hmm. it, it coupled with what Tiani said, you have to know yourself and you have to know what you mm-hmm. bring to the table. So in as much as the journey is super humbling, don't forget who you are. 
at the same time. Right. Wow. And so you need to, when you show up in the room, you can't just be like, uh, afraid. You have to step up and show up and show out because the, you best believe the person who's coming after you is going to do the same thing. Mm. And so knowing yourself, being able to sh showcase what you're able to do and who you are and your strengths in, in a way that differentiates you from the next person is so, so key. Now, talking about differentiating yourself from the next person, this is, I'm going to be brazen about this. I mean, we are three black women. Um, no one likes this question. People don't like talking about this. But what role do your networks play in succeeding when making a career shift? Belinda, I'll, Ooh, go, I'll go back to you. <laughs> what role does networks play or do networks play in making a career shift? Be it right here in our little Africa or big Africa, if you want to call it that, or internationally. But what role does networking play in making a successful career shift? I think it's so crucial. And, and I think like it's twofold for me because, of course, you know, looking back at your career back home, so especially if mm -hmm. you are making a cross-jurisdictional shift, mm -hmm. um, you know, having a strong network behind you because you need to pull up them reference letters when you're applying for jobs and mm -hmm. that sort of thing. But then at the same time, especially in, in Tiani and I's situation where we've been students, we've had to go over above and beyond. We couldn't just be the person who sits in class and just takes notes and goes home. Mm -hmm. You had to really step up go outside of yourself, introduce yourself to people and, and, and create those networks, create those relationships because those are the people who vouch for you at the end of the day mm -hmm. when, you, when you need to apply for something. And so mm -hmm. I think it's, 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 it's just as key as being able to sell yourself. And, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I'm an extrovert. I don't think I am. I think in my nature, I'm an introvert, but I had to mm. put that aside and I had to push through and go outside of my comfort zone mm. and, and walk into the room and say, this is who I am. This is where I'm from. This is what and I'm ask. And ask. Mm. And ask. And ask. And, and that's why I brought this up, Belinda, because I think black women are always so, we love holding on to the hard work factor. Yes. We don't like to ask. We yes. like holding on to, I did this through hard work. We, yes. like, we like suffering as black women. And sometimes you just need to tap into your networks and ask. And also Please coupled continue. with asking, yeah. coupled with asking, you know, I think one of the thing that this journey has learned, has taught me is that mm. you're going to hear no more than you hear yes. Yes. And, and, and to not, you know, be heartbroken when you hear the no's, you just have to, you know, dust yourself off and go on to the next thing. And, yes. and to, to your point, you know, it, it also coupled with that is that if you don't ask, it will always be an automatic no. Yes. And so you're so spot on, you're so right. You know, you, you do have to you go to your networks and say, guy, I know it's been a minute since we spoke, but you know, I need a little assistance with this or that, or I need your mm. help. Or can, would, would you write me a reference letter? And sometimes people will say no, and you just have to be okay with that. Mm. It is what it is. True. True. T? I think coming, being in this country during, um, I mean, we've just, it was what, over a month ago now with the George murder of George Floyd and then the outbreak of, you know, the protests and, then people starting to really introspect uh, and reflect, well, people, white people starting to re reflect on the ways that they have not been uh, allowing or facilitating or actively doing something to increase diversity mm. and black voices in their spaces. So that was really like at the same time that we were working on our fundraising 
And then there were all of these venture capitalists and uh, people in careers and founders that were like, we want to do what we can to help, you know, black owned startups and start mm. talking to and facilitating and funding and seeing more, you know, diverse mm. teams. So that in itself, I don't want to say was like a blessing in disguise, but yes. uh, all of these lists and like spreadsheets started to go around with people's actual contact information in these like huge funds and in these, you know, um, companies. And they were saying, we're open. We want to help. We want to speak with you. So we started to work through those lists and we started to, you know, reach out to people and uh, we worked through each and every list that we could get our hands on. Mm. We were like, I was like emailing those people heavy and, you know, um, corresponding and coming out of that, that then, you know, in as much as maybe someone passes, they're like, well, this isn't a fit for us. Then you have mm. the opportunity like, okay, well, if it doesn't work for you, is there anyone else or like an angel investor that you know that might be interested in speaking to us? Then you yeah. build the network like that going forward. And that's how now we have like, uh, over a hundred plus people that not only have we spoken to, but that we still have in our universe that yes. when we improve our product or when we are doing the next thing or coming for the next fun round of funding, whatever it might be, that we can always go back to because we've then started to build that network. But interestingly, what our startup does is actually to um, democratize access to networks using artificial yes. intelligence. So that's our startup. That's the base of our startup. We're um, democratizing access to professionals specifically using uh, AI. And what that means is that a person might be you know, under networked or un what you under pedigreed, but mm. they have like, you know, they have a really strong idea or they want to, you know, do start something new, but they mm. don't have the professional network to help them do that. And uh, we're saying that our platform will help you connect to the right professionals. And on the other end, we use like some really cool tech to be able to vet and match these people. So that's what we're working on because it's such a problem that if you are under networked, you miss out on so many great opportunities. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you are networked appropriately, a lot of these things, you know, just come really easily to you. So networks are essential. Critical. I, I agree. I've got two more questions before we go, in, go into the quick fire round. The second last question is, knowing what you know today as opposed to what you knew last year this time, what would you do differently in making your career shift? I'll go back to you, Tiani. I would stay at home. I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Seriously, what I would do is I would have really been working on the financial piece much earlier uh, okay. as in terms of just like putting better financial structures in place from like a savings perspective. That's really something that I would have focused more on. Mm -hmm. um, at that point last year, I was thinking, oh my gosh, I want to buy a house and all of these things. In retrospect, thank God I did not do that because I don't know how I'd be, um, you know, surviving right now. So I think I would focus more on on really uh, doing more in terms of like savings, as mm. well as I would have probably started to start reaching, getting into the VC space in South Africa much earlier than I did wow, okay. and waiting mm. to like come from here into mm. then trying to like, you know, reach back. I would have started mm. 
back home first mm-hmm. active it's just that again because i didn't really know anyone in the vc space in south africa like that yes. you know that i didn't even i wouldn't even have known where to begin so it's yes. interesting now that i'm in america i'm starting to see people in the vc space in south africa yeah uh, so i think i would have probably spent more time trying to figure that out more yeah and what would you have done differently balance Definitely the finance piece. So I wasn't as lucky as T. I have a whole ass house in Johannesburg that I am funding. <laughs> and every time it rains, my heart sinks because I know they're going to call me to repair the roof or this or that. Or, oh, no. When, when you live in the house, it's all good. But when someone else is living there, now it's a problem. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. Houses are a nightmare already. Oh, so I God. can imagine. So, yeah. So that piece was, was tough, but we overcame and we shall continue mm. to do so. But, you know, definitely the finance piece. Um, I think the thing is with a, with a journey like this, there's so much that you just cannot prepare for in as much as you try. I, I used to send Tiani like my spreadsheets of all the planning that I did and it's still not enough. There's just certain things that you just cannot prepare for. And I think I yes. wish I would have, um, I wish I would have stopped being so resistant to, some of the things that I was experiencing from the beginning and, and move quicker into a place of accepting that you're not at mm. home anymore. I wish I would have moved into that a lot sooner because I think I spent yeah. a substantial portion of this journey being um, frustrated about how mm. challenging things were or how different they were from home or how different my life was back at home. And mm. I think if I'd moved into a place of acceptance a lot earlier, um, mm. I think would have, things would just would have been much smoother because you mm. take that anxious energy into everything you do, every job application, every networking event, you know, people can sense it and they can feel it. And it's what you end up manifesting. Whereas if I'd mm. been in a space where I'm like, this is what I'm, this is the situation. This is where we're at. And there's opportunities that I can, you know, leverage off this time by doing the following. I think it would have just changed the game. Mm, wow. That. that, those are some powerful reflections, ladies. Um, I'm so glad that you are sharing this reflection because there is someone out there right now who is thinking of making a career shift or who is thinking of studying abroad or who wants to go work abroad. And these are all necessary factors that they need to take into account. And without platforms um, like Make the Shift, they would never know that. So thank you so much for being vulnerable enough to share those reflections, especially you, Belinda, in saying, I should, I should have done less of taking myself into Paris. I should have done less of taking the Belinda from back home into Paris. And I love Tiani, that. Tiani and I used to make jokes about that all the time, that we try to take our lives in Johannesburg into yes. these new spaces. Yes. The thing is, it's not work. you're not in Kansas anymore. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and I think, you know, just to add to that, it's, it's all ties down to expectations. And, you know, whether you're moving to a different country, whether you're moving to a different company, whether you're starting your own company mm-hmm. or whatever it may be, whatever shift you're making, you know, I think it's so important to, to manage your expectations because then that's where all the frustration and the angst comes from. Yeah, so true. And I think I'll just add, add that, like, please add, coming yes. from South Africa, which, I mean, I, there's a friend of mine who's also living here in New York at the moment, and she's been here for a while. And I'm just going to call us out. Like, sometimes back home, we're a very status-driven society to the point that people are focusing on things that really ultimately don't matter. 
yeah. um, you know, and it's about who's, are you living in this neighborhood? Are you driving this car? Yep. And you know, you're almost choking yourself yep. in debt and just, you know, with the view of wanting to be seen at whatever these places are. Whereas you can be, you know, like we have so many, so much support built in at home. You are in a position back home where you have your own vehicle, you have help at your house, you have someone that, you know, 90% of like young professionals, even probably 100, have someone that comes in to help them. So you, your time is yours. You have so much time to yourself. Whereas if you're living like here, I burn the night, you know, there's no one, you clean your own apartment. If you're trying to get somewhere, it's public transport and the commute can be so long, depending on, you know, wherever you're going. By the time you get back, you're exhausted. You're, the people are super competitive. Like here, and I'm not saying that this is a bad reflection of anyone mm -hmm. back home. Like if I send an email to someone, in 20 minutes, you have a response. In yes. South Africa, sometimes you send an email to someone, they're like, if they come back to you tomorrow, that's, you know, that will be good. Yeah, I, like, I, I think a 24-hour turnaround time is perfect. Like, I'm like, oh, geez, oh. <laughs> you know, that's, where's, that's, yeah. that's not okay. No, people are like, <laughs> 20 minutes, like, they want you to respond immediately. You know, so just that level of, like, action. So I think there's a lot that we can do, even just, like, from a work culture. Um, there's so much that we can capture because you have so many you have a lot of time that's, that's available to you to do whatever you want to do with it. And mm. it's about how can you use that time in a way that ultimately, you know, just creates like a, a bigger mm. financial cushion for yourself or upskilling yourself. You know, there's like whole mm. new careers that I'd never heard of that exist here in the US. Like wow. a product manager, that's something, that's one of the things I've actually been doing like a short course on. I'm in this group mm. called Black Product Managers. And it's this role that like sits in between business, technology, finance, and marketing. And mm. you really like sit centrally there to ensure that whatever, like, so for example, a product manager, like at Google, uh, like, so there's, you know, it, let's, let's use Instagram, for example. So a product yes. within Instagram could be Instagram live, Instagram stories. Uh, mm. Those are different products and they have like their own product manager who sits there to make sure that the customer experience of a person on Instagram live mm. is good. So when Instagram live was crashing during all those verses, mm. that person was not happy. They were probably getting so much slack because like, um, like the product, you know, was just like not performing the way that customers mm. want. So, I mean, within that, like there's a person that, that owns like each specific, what to you looks like a feature for us as users is a product within the company. Mm. And that's like a whole type of career that we just, I mean, I don't know anyone who like mm. does. I've read about it, but I don't know. know of it in this country. Yeah, exactly. So we need to, as we're moving forward, and it's not even about 4IR, people, those people that are discussing 4IR, they must just relax. They have no clue. Not like they have no clue, but there's mm. just so much that has to be done to even get people skilled to that point where you are in the position to be able to, you know, start thinking in that way, start building businesses that, have that type of capacity and that grow at that level. So mm. I think for me, it's really been challenging for me to see, wow, how much better could we be using all the time, all the resources that we have instead of like being on Insta. Oh, no, yeah. not, so not, not, and I'd want to like build everyone who's doing, you're doing what you're doing because that's what we know and that's what we've seen. Yes. But like, let's not miss out on so much more that we could be doing and building. I love that. I think there's so many lessons in that. I think, Actually, 
that is a phenomenal lesson for us here in South Africa that are young professionals. You have a lot of time. As the stock standard young professional here in South Africa, you actually really do have a lot of time and opportunity to really make the most of your career. I mean, we have seen so many, just in this conversation alone, just the fact that you've brought up things that, I mean, me living in South Africa, I didn't even realize that there's probably no affirmative action type of programs that will help me in, in, in succeeding. Do you know what I mean? I didn't even know that, I didn't even consider the fact that a commute can take two hours, which is two hours of my day. Do you know what I mean? That I could be doing something else um, that would benefit my career. So I think that is such a critical lesson for us as South African young professionals. And I think it's also a critical lesson for young professionals who are of African or whatever descent and who actually move over to countries abroad, right? I think that is such a big uh, um, life lesson in the sense that make the most of your time there as well you know so yeah and i just, I just have one well. yes sorry before we go to the last no, question, no, no, I just no, want to add that you know that's i think that's another thing that i and maybe i haven't discussed so openly but i think yes. one of the things that this has taught me you know now that you we realize that as young south african professionals we do have so much time there's actually mm. so much going on that we have so much good that we have going on back home that yeah. the rest of the world is not afforded our system mm. our systems work and um, mm. oh, sorry it's just checking if my mic is working our systems yeah. work we have laws and systems in place that help you as a as a young professional woman to mm. you know to boost your to 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 access to opportunities and things like that which we don't have you know in other countries and you know we mm. look at the plight as we mentioned what's happening in america with george floyd and the mm. fact that so many companies and brands are being called out on things like diversity and you look at home and you're like with all this extra time that you have, um, with all this extra time that you have, use it, mm. take the opportunities that we have and run with them, really explore them, push them as far. So now the fact that we don't have pro product managers for mm. Instagram in South Africa, someone out there should start doing that and present these ideas. It doesn't have to be on an Instagram. It can be on another platform, but let's create solutions for ourselves, you know, without always, you know, sort of just adopting different models and different systems from from abroad we have yeah. the capacity we have the skills we have the talent and we have the opportunities at home as well thank you so much belinda and i just want to round up with one last question before we go into our quick fire round so since this is all about making the shift um you two are both very successful women incredibly successful women but what now that you've made the shift this career shift, this life shift, this country shift. <laughs> what does career success look like to you now? Tiani. Belinda, I see you like cringing. <laughs> I wish everyone was looking at you right now the way I'm looking at you. Like I see you just like cringing. Like, why did you bring in this career success question? But what does the career success look like to you now? Exactly where you are right now, Tiani, in New York, completed an LLM, from an Ivy League with all your accolades back home, being in, being in America, which is kind of this melting pot, what does career success look like to you now? What career success is going to be for me in this next season is ultimately being able to build a scalable business. That yeah. for me is, going to, is what career success is, is at this point. 
building a highly scalable business on the back of technology. And I think it's also important to, to for, because representation matters, people yes. to see that like a woman from an, a black woman who is an immigrant into this country can come with the experience from uh, a different continent, a mm. third world continent that is absolutely applicable and necessary to be able to you know, bring a new perspective to an mm -hmm. industry that people might not have originally thought of. So for me, it's either it's that, and if I'm not able to build my own scalable company, I would be really happy to work in venture to help other people to be able to do that, or mm. um, like in a really you know, strong startup environment to do that. So for me, for me um, success is scale. That in short, for me, success is scale. And you, I think you mentioned that word earlier on, scale, scale, scale. It's something yeah, that all the word. big startups, yes, <laughs> it's, all, it's a word that all the big startups are using right now. Scale, scale, scale. Belinda, career success to you. Someone with an investment banking background, someone with um, obviously a legal background, with an MBA, energy, working in energy. What does it, being in Paris, what does it look like to you? Uh, I always find this question so difficult to answer because, you know, I think careers are, 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 are it's, it's that thing, it, it moves and shifts and allowing the space to allow it to move and shift is, I found mm. it's quite important because, you know, if I, you know, based on this conversation, if I think back to, you know, 10 years ago when I was starting out in my career, I wanted to make partner at a law firm and I'm, I'm, I'm not at all in that same space anymore. So yeah. I guess, I guess for me, um, what success in my career would look like right now is to be in a space where I'm my whole self, whatever I'm doing, showing up as my whole self, regardless of what career path I'm on, where I don't have to put on performances and, you know, Mm. Uh, what's the you know where you you act you put on a, a performance to show people like okay now I'm in the investment bank lawyer you know mm. box this is how you behave in this space I want to be in a space where we we scratch out all of those boxes and we throw the box the whole box away and people show mm. up at work as their whole self and I think you know for, right now another element of success for me would be if someone if I can help inspire someone else who's looking to do the same thing um, mm. to be, you know, sort of that marker of what this looks like, because I think I had great examples of people who made career shifts in their life quite late and who did it successfully. Mm. And mm. they're the people who gave me the confidence and the courage to make the step. So for me, career success would be to, 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 to be that example for someone else and to let mm. them, to, to see them go through this journey and be their support as they make that journey. I think for me, that's, that would be success. In, in Paris, oh, I just want to learn how to speak French properly and not speak <laughs> English anymore and be able to, you know, hold on. Don't get there, girl. That, that, that for me, is, I guess, would be what career success would look like. Thank you so much for sharing that. So we're going to do the quick fire round now. And I'm actually going to jump between the two of you. So both of you need to unmute your, unmute your mic yourselves so that it doesn't take long. Absolutely no thoughts. The first answer that comes to mind Belinda what's the one thing you would change about the legal industry um I would change um the imposter syndrome that women face in the legal industry Tiani more women in just more women and more black people just realizing 
their own uh, brilliance and being afforded better opportunities uh, to come into this space. Belinda, what's your go-to power outfit? Oh, child. <laughs> anything black. Um, anything You're like such a, a I love a power suit. I really love a black <laughs> power suit. Whether it's a skirt or like a wide leg pant, I'm all here for it. Tiani, go-to uh, power outfit? Anything where I get to wear a white shirt and um, heels. I don't know. The, the bottoms don't really matter. It could be jeans. It could be a dress. Uh, but, oh, I mean like a skirt or like a tunic, but like a white shirt and heels. That for me is my power outfit. Yes. Never go. You can never go wrong with a good heel. Hey, mm. Belinda, your biggest email pet peeve. Oh gosh. When people just say they, they see my surname and they think that's my first name. So they'll send me an email. Hi, Kintu. Oh my gosh, guys, I made that mistake the other day. <laughs> oh my gosh, and I felt so bad afterwards when she was like, regards, Cindy. And I was like, oh God. <laughs> Tiani, your biggest email pet peeve? Uh, for me, it would have to reply all. Like, guy, do not reply all. Like, just reply yeah. to a specific person, not reply all. Yeah. And your most used emoji, Tiani? Uh, it would have to be fireworks. Really, of all the emojis on the emoji planet, that thing with like Bio. the celebration thing—that that's always. Oh, that's okay, okay, I hear you. Like with the, I don't know what it is. Like what that thing with like, like that the confetti. It's not a confetti, yes. The confetti that's thing, yeah. That's why most yes. use emoji. I know it. Yeah, Belinda, yours. Mine would be the lady who's like got her hands like this, like she's shrugging her shoulders. I love her. <laughs> that's I love <laughs> I hope you use your own skin color because that's uh, you know I do you know <laughs> sure. and then um Tiani I can't wait to hear your answer to this because you love talking about money so what can you not stop spending money on this is going to be probably so surprising to most people but I really cannot stop spending money on books y'all like I just buy so wow. many books as I'm packing up right now um, I have like, and I love to buy hardcover books. So like, I don't buy the soft cover, the, um, the paperback. I always buy like yes. the hardcover book. So as I'm packing up right now, it's making it such a nightmare because I have all of these huge hardcover books, but that for me is like, the, I cannot resist a good book. Kindle maybe, maybe. Nah. No? Nah. nah? Okay. <laughs> Balance. What Mine do you spend your money on? Beauty products, guys. Skin, hair, all of it. All my money goes, all my coins are being spent on something that is going to enhance my hair or my face. Yourself. I love that. I think a lot of us are kind of in that zone right now. If we are all to be honest ourselves, I think we're all in the skincare, hair care zone at the moment. I find those questions. brushes that, uh, yeah? you know, those, those uh, electric brushes to clean your face. Guys, that thing is the future. Oh. It has changed the game. I mean, we need to unpack that, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> and at the top of your playlist, okay, Tiani, I think you're going to say Beyonce, but I'll give you a shot. Beyonce, Black Parade. <laughs> oh, God. Belinda, who's at the top of your playlist? Right now, I, am, I have a 90s R&B infatuation, so I literally set up those playlists, and it's everything from Candy Rain to... Love. Um, Monica and Brandy that is my joint right now the 90s were the best time for creativity really and were. music guys I'm telling you last one Tiani what has living through a pandemic taught you 
to just breathe and to just be thankful for breath. And I think it's so, um, it's an interesting lesson considering that like ultimately the coronavirus is a respiratory infection, mm. but just to just be so thankful for breath, honestly, uh, that's what this period has taught me. And you, Belinda? Likewise, I think just gratitude for all things. I think we're living in such a fast paced world and, you know, just always onto the next thing. And it's taught me to just stop and take stock of my life and all of the amazing things that I have, all of the little things that you take for granted on the daily, like a roof over your head, meals to mm. eat, just to take stock and be thankful for everything mm. that you have. Mm, I love that. I think I think outside of things like gratitude for being able to eat every day and gratitude uh, to people that care about you, I think the one thing we can all be grateful for is a roof over our head, definitely. Ladies, thank you so much for sharing your insights, for being so vulnerable, for being so honest, and for just sharing what it means to make a career shift on this podcast, Make the Shift. And I'm just wishing you guys all the best in your careers going forward to Yanni, all the best in New York. Berlin's all the best in Paris. I haven't been to Paris. How embarrassing. Oh my gosh. One day. I haven't one been day. to Paris either. Go, we'll go together. Both of you must come, guys. And we're just going <laughs> to show up and show out in these streets. Let them know it's Africa time. Exactly. Right, right. But ladies, thank you so much. And all of the best. And I really hope that everybody listening to this podcast, they learn to think what to. Great. Thank, thank you so you much, Sumasa. Really appreciate this. Bye-bye. Thank you.